did that. Put him in the aisle. Gets a shotgun snap. Final play of the game. Ron waiting for the wideouts to get downfield. Launches the throw down toward the goal line. Going up. Ball tipped in the air. Touchdown. Gordon Westerkamp. Nebraska wins the game on the final play of the contest. Oh, baby. Back to throw is Martinez. Now being chased, throws it out. A flat. Burkhead makes a catch. Sits a tackle. 25 20, 15 10, 5. Rex Burkhead. Touchdown, Nebraska. What's going on, everybody? Uh, happy Memorial Day weekend. Thanks for joining us here on church of the corn we've got the live one and we'll release the podcast i think tomorrow or the day after i don't i don't know how it's going to work with her dad but either way drake what's going on my man how are you not much man uh for the second week in a row i am in recovery mode on sunday evening uh was out last night with the wife and some friends and uh watched those celtics get that miraculous tip in at the buzzer to to force an historical game seven. They are now the fourth team in NBA history to come back from 3 0 to force game seven. If they win tomorrow night, they will be the first team in NBA history to ever pull that off. And I am looking forward to that. That was what I was going to ask because I have 590 on my in, on my truck when I drive. And I thought I heard the other day that they said that they'd be the first team to come back from 0 and 3 to win it if they did. Yeah, if they pull it off, they will they will be the first NBA team to ever pull that off. So Whew, man. Do they do it? Do they pull it off? Dude, I don't know. I uh I'm trying to keep my fan bias out of it. Uh and I, I love Jimmy Butler too. Uh I'll say this. I, I do think I think Boston can pull it off. I one hundred percent do. They've just they can. They've shown that these last three games when game three, they just got demolished down in Miami. With that being said, though, I when I was in Florida down in February Super Bowl weekend, I went to a Magic Heat game, and I saw the most gritty comeback I've ever seen live from Miami down double digits with like three minutes left in the fourth quarter, forced overtime. Came back and won it. So, like, that Miami team is very special, too. Um, if I had to call my shot right now, I'm taking Boston just because they have all the momentum. Um, not only have they come back from 3-0, but they snatched that game from the jaws of defeat last night. Um, you know, you think you have a one-point lead with three seconds left. You force them this shot. You think it's over. And they get a tip in at get the ball off with less than one-tenth of a second. It's really hard to overcome that as uh, if you're a Miami player or fan. But, you know, that's why these guys get paid. And that's why it's a seven-game series. And um, that's why there's a day off so they can they can recoup. So I, I think tomorrow's a toss-up game. I'm leaning Boston. But I would absolutely not be surprised if Miami pulls it off. Because Miami should have closed this out two games ago. Well, I was really hoping the game was on tonight so I could be in – uh, you know, stay up late and watch it and not be an old man and have to worry about waking up at 4 a.m. tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> just sucks that it's pushed today, but I get it. Isn't 
Isn't that the the scary thing though? When you go into a seven game series, when you're playing against a team like Miami, um, that is so gritty and 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 mentally tough with with a coach like Spolster who's been there before, who's been to the mountaintop. Isn't that a scary team to play at any point in the playoff, just because of their championship uh, pedigree? Um, yes and no. Uh, I mean, I think this Miami team is scary to play no matter what. I this Miami team is very special. They they have five or six guys that contribute regularly that were undrafted, which is just unheard of in the NBA. Um, you you find that in the NFL where you can have a good chunk of guys that that were undrafted free agents, whatever. You don't find that in the basketball world very much. Mainly, you know, there's only two rounds, and um, I feel like more so in basketball than football. Um, the the scouting is is very very deliberate and very accurate for the most part. Um, there, I mean, there's a reason that 80%, I, I think the number is 80%, and I'll, I'll go back and find this one day, but lottery picks, so 1 through 13 or 14, whatever it is, like 80% of those guys don't even end up being starters because the NBA is just a weird, weird world. Um, this Miami team, This Miami team is – I. I put them on par with Golden State, and and I throw Boston in here too, um, and not not the way that you that you think I'm going with this. <laughs> I see the look on your face. Yeah, I had the, um, I had the, the eyebrows went up a little there. So, I, I would say, kind of, kind of since the the Kobe Shack run in LA, and pretty much up until Golden State got really good, you could you could win this league with a two to a three man, you know, a big three essentially. And the Lakers tried to do that again, or you could even really win it with a big two, if we're being honest. If you had two of the most enough. Yeah, if you had two of the most dominated dominant players in the league, you could win. Whereas, you know, the Jordan runs and a little bit after that and definitely before that with the the Celtics and the Magic, it, it had to be a complete team. I think this Boston team, this Nuggets team, the Warriors during their run, and, and this Miami team are kind of turning that notion back on its head that that a, a team that is all bought in and plays together can can take out these top dogs. Now, I think Boston has more individual talent, but you saw it in the first three games. If they're not playing together as a team, they're they're not that good, and that. I think the NBA is going through another renaissance and they go through them every, you know, five to 10 years. You, you had the renaissance of dominant big players in the nineties with Shaq early two thousands. Then you had the dominant of the evolution of great guards, Kobe, Jordan, those guys. And those kind of coincided at the same time. And then it was just like, the game didn't really evolve for a long time beyond like pick and roll. And then you had the Golden State where all the once Golden State turned into what they did, the entire league changed to, you know, we gotta we gotta fill this court with shooters. Well, it's pretty equivalent to going to like an air raid in football. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That that's what that's what the Warriors did to the NBA. And now you are getting, I mean, case in point is Denver Nuggets with with Jokic, like having dominant big men. It, it goes back to giving you an advantage right now because everybody is so spread out. Mm-hmm. And if you have a dominant big man that can pass and score, you're going to, you're going to be, you're going to 
be up. And Miami has that. I, I love Bam Adebayo. He's not he's not like a giant big, but he's athletic. He can he can score off the dribble. He can shoot the mid range, and and he's a hard hard nosed player. Boston's kind of missing that. They have a couple of bigs that are serviceable, but they don't have anybody like Bam Adebayo. But that everybody else can do everything on the court too. Like they have guards that can post up. They have guards that can take you off the dribble. Everybody on the on the floor can shoot a little bit, except for those bigs. And I, like I said, I just think right now we're we're seeing another evolution of basketball at the NBA level, and that's one of my favorite parts about that game is it evolves so frequently as opposed. NFL takes a little bit more time to get through its evolutions. Yeah, I, I feel like in the uh, in the NBA as opposed to like the NFL, I may I, excuse me, I flipped that around. Like co- football in general, you need a scheme to be more effective than you do in basketball because I feel like in basketball, like you were saying, if you have those one or two standout guys, you can make a lot of things happen with lesser talented players around it as opposed to mm-hmm. football you may have a standout guy, but if he doesn't fit the scheme, it doesn't matter at the end of the day. It, it's He's not going to look good and be productive where he's at. Yeah, I mean, go back and look at LeBron James' first run with Cleveland. With Cleveland. Like, mm-hmm. his team was not that good by any means. It, I, you know, I think the East was down, but he still had eight or nine straight final appearances with Cleveland and Miami, um, which is impressive for sure. I, I think LeBron is, you know, a top five player all time. I know a lot of people put him at one. I I don't see I don't see that. I th- I think he's he's the greatest statistical freak in the history of the NBA. I don't know that he's the greatest basketball player of all time, but and he could be one um, of the better athletes that's ever in the NBA as well with his freakish measurables. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna throw go into this huge debate on on him and no, Jordan we don't, we don't and Kobe and all that. that but <laughs> uh, no, I mean, but LeBron, LeBron has proven that point. And you know, I I've seen in in college basketball a hundred times. I remember, I want to say it was around 2008. Boise State came to Omaha when they were playing Creighton, and Creighton was significantly better. But Boise State had one guy get hot, and I I watched him make two two jump shots with his eyes closed because he thought he was getting hit. And they ended up coming into town and upsetting Creighton. But one guy can take over a basketball game more so than in any other sport. Yeah, and I think you're seeing it. And, you know, uh, I, I remember uh, for, for Boston was Tatum, who who has had some great individual efforts in the playoffs and mm-hmm. kind of willed his team to a lot of wins. It's just I don't. I don't know. That's the thing that always scares me is when you've got those gritty teams that are never completely out of it. Yeah, and it's not like and, they're not talented. Miami's a talented team. It's just you can't count a guy. You can't count that team out at any point. I don't. I don't feel no. Like. And you saw that last night. I mean, they were down thirteen points with three minutes left, and you know, Boston didn't. This is my biggest problem with Boston as a Boston fan. They are so inconsistent with their effort in decision-making in games during the playoffs. Um, they're just kind of missing – they're they're missing a Jimmy Butler, a, like a star who a is dude. hard-nosed. Yeah. Um, they're missing like a true leader like Jimmy Butler, in my opinion. Um, you know, and they, they, they pulled one off last night that they shouldn't have pulled off. Um, but I, I argue Miami should have never gotten that lead back. Isn't but that's it? a totally different conversation. I mean, it's the case of better being lucky than good at a certain point. I mean, the mm-hmm. playoffs the playoffs are what they are. It, it doesn't matter if you win the game by 50 or a point. 
you won the game at the yeah. end of the day. So, sure. um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a fun game to watch. I'm, I'm looking forward to that close that game tomorrow um, and, and just getting some good basketball. It's always good to have live sports this time of year because as Nebraska fans, uh, I don't know if you got a chance to watch the baseball game uh, yesterday. Not not great. Mm-hmm. Not uh, not great. We don't have to harp on this too much, but just uh, kind of a, a lot of what we've seen all year long. Um you know, struggling to field the ball, pitching gets you at the worst times. And then when your pitching seems to act up, your your bats aren't working either. So everything kind of implodes on itself. I think it's a pretty good synopsis, right? Yeah. I, it Here's the most interesting thing to me about Nebraska in the postseason this year. And, you know, I would throw it up there during some of, some of Erstad's best teams too. Now, granted, this year they weren't the number one seed going into the Big Ten tournament, but there was a point in time where they were consistently the number one team in the Big Ten tournament and then not doing anything in the Big Ten tournament. Yep. How, like, I don't understand how their offense, they were a top two offensive team in the conference all year, and I think they had the worst batting average in the conference tournament. Like, that doesn't make sense to me from any – the boomer bust is abs- is 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 actually kind of mind-boggling at a certain point. Yeah, and I mean, the announcers said it yesterday. I, I, I was listening to the radio broadcast, so I was listening to Nebraska. Let's call it. I was getting um, sunburned, so. Like, Maryland, the biggest knock on Maryland coming into the Big Ten tournament was their pitching, and they looked like they had a team of MLB All-Stars pitching against Nebraska. Yeah, every every Nebraska batter that went up yesterday looked confused is a good way to put it and just looked like they they were having things thrown at them that they've never seen before. It was it was mind-boggling to watch in person. Yeah, it was a little bit. Tell you what though, um bright spot our guard our guard Charlie Fisher had a great day at the plate yesterday. He did. I thought he was going to take one. It would have been over right field, I believe. I thought he was going to knock one out of the park yesterday, but unfortunately he did not. So yeah, it, it is what it is. But um, let's let's uh, we'll move from basketball to baseball to to this. Um, there, there's something I, I'll bring up in a little bit about Coach Rule, but I've got a question because apparently it seems like the Minnesota game is being washed over for for Nebraska. So I got a question for you. Since the first two games of the season are Minnesota number one and Colorado number two, which game to you is more important? I feel like this is a very easy question, but which game to you is more important? I mean, I want to say Minnesota um, from from a logical standpoint. Big Ten West foe. Mm-hmm. Um, we've struggled with Minnesota. Uh, Scott Frost went one and four against them, technically. Yeah, I, I believe think. so. One, one and three. He didn't get a coach the fourth game. Uh, That's the probably a good game. thing. Um. From from a logical standpoint, it's it's one hundred percent Minnesota. Now, the one, uh, maybe not the one, but I'll, I'll I'll give a couple points to as to why Colorado is is in this discussion in my eyes. Um, one, it, you have two like Minnesota isn't starting from scratch. Their, their staff has been in place. They have a lot of returning players. They're not implementing entirely new systems or anything. So I, I give them a leg. Theoretically, they should be ahead of us. Mm-hmm. But 
come to Colorado, you have two of the bigger coaching hires in, in the offseason going head-to-head. Um, and, and Coach and then, Rule and Coach Sanders. Yeah, Coach Prime, Coach Rule. And you want to see who who had the better offseason, right? Because for whatever reason, no matter how and I just don't get how these two are so locked together. That it just makes yeah. no fucking sense to me. No matter no matter how illogical this sounds, like you think the results of this game, this game specifically, not any other game on either of our schedules, but this game is going to set the tempo for the next four years for each program. Which is insanity to me. Absolute insanity. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. But that that's just the way the human mind works, especially when you throw into the fact that this is an old rivalry game, you got Colorado fans coming in to the Nebraska fans conversations on Twitter, talking their talk. You got Nebraska fans going into the Colorado conversations, talking their talk. And um, I just got to say, maybe as Nebraska fans, we don't kind of poke the Buffalo at this point. You've lost to him two times recently. Like I get one to talk a little shit, but, at the same time, you've lost to him twice. Yeah, but again, that those that's three coaches ago. I mean, I, I can't argue that. I realistically can't even argue that at this point. But, you um, know, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know, man. I'm fine with Nebraska fans going in and talking their talk because I feel like even, you know, I, I'm going to give a shout out to, to the Husker Wave account right now. Um even when he's in there talking his talk, because I see a lot of a lot of his stuff. A lot. And it's he said hilarious. His his projection for Nebraska is six or seven wins, um, which which I think is possible. But if we don't get there, I I told him in a private message he's gonna have to delete his account. Uh, but you have Colorado fans thinking that they're already, and this this is by no means the majority. Because I don't think the majority of their fan base hangs out on Twitter because there's not enough of them. I, was say, um, I don't know if they have a fan base. Uh, but you have you have some people thinking that they legitimately have a shot to win the the Pac-12. Um, which By the way, they, they are don't. overlooking TCU right now at this point. TCU yes. is losing a lot, but they are literally acting like there is no game won against TCU. Yeah, it, I, um, I do not get that. I'll, I'll tell you the biggest thing for me, and the reason why I, I hop in here every once in a while too, is you see all these highlight reels of Shadur Sanders throwing these bombs to guys like Travis Hunter, yep. who are being covered by what appears to be five foot six and you. walk-ons that run a six four forty. Like, yeah, Travis Hunter, a five-star athlete, should be wide open against that guy every time. But then you then you have them trying to prop up Travis Hunter as a two way player, and he's getting burned in the spring game by walk on wide receivers that look of the same athleticism as the guy trying to cover him. Like it's a circus it's, at a certain point. It, that's exactly what it is. Um, it it looks like a clown show, and I I don't have a problem with Nebraska fans, you know, pumping some brakes on Colorado fans. Now, some of the stuff I see is ridiculous from both sides, obviously. I think I, maybe that's just, more what I'm referring to, some of the crazy shit I've seen on both sides. Yeah, I just saw somebody say, uh, you know, if Travis Hunter plays against Nebraska, they're going to beat us by 
by three scores or well travis know, hunter will be playing so that's that's uh unless he gets hurt against tcu and that's that's the thing i mean he is a very, I'm very sorry. frail kid so i'm sorry uh somebody who hasn't set foot in a gym in close to 10 years like myself very out of shape i feel like if you put me up on the line on travis hunter and press coverage i would put travis hunter is so skinny that I could put him on the ground in press coverage and not get beat like that. They're going to, and I know, I know I really can't, but that that's what it looks like. And I've seen him get, I would actually up. love to watch that happen. Sign I've seen me up him for get that. jammed a few times in these videos and I'm not trying to call, I'm not trying to call out Travis Hunter. I'm just, I'm trying to point out where some of this stuff comes from, from a Nebraska fan. If I'm Deion Sanders and their offensive coordinator, you have to recognize that the Pac-12 does have some legitimate NFL prospects at corner who can get up and press you. How If Travis Hunter can't beat somebody off the line of scrimmage and he's your number one target, how are you going to get him open? They're going to have to find ways to scheme him open with stacks and crossing routes. And if you have to change your entire offensive scheme to get your most electric player the ball – because he can't do it on his own, you're going to have more problems than you think. Well, I believe Coach Frost said you can't scheme guys open. So, yeah, I, I think Dion's going to have to work on that one. Yeah. So you're going to go. You go Minnesota then, right? Yeah, I have, I absolutely think Minnesota is the more okay, important good, good. game. But you could. I understand why why the Colorado game is getting hyped up so much. I, I get the Colorado one as well, especially with everything that's happened this offseason and, and rule vaguely through the seven different games of telephone was talking about Deion Sanders through things he was saying and, you know, so on and so forth. I, I, I You know, it's Minnesota. It's a no-brainer game. Uh, I, I feel like it's going to be an ugly game, though. You know, game one, Minnesota has been a traditional slow starter. Nebraska has got a brand new scheme on both sides of the ball. Plus, Minnesota's replacing Morgan and Ibrahim and, and a lot of people there. It'll be a, it'll be a an ugly game for for a week one game, especially conference and all. But going back to Colorado now, so you remember when Frost came in and how excited everybody was and and how it, I don't want to say it turned into a circus, but you know it kind of turned into a little bit of a circus around the football program under Frost under year one. Does Colorado definitely ran that way over five years. Absolutely. So does Colorado year one kind of feel like Scott Frost or Nebraska and Scott Frost year one at this point with just the amount of hype in the offseason that's being pumped around a guy coming from a lower program to a division one program that had, you know, it's been on a downward slide. Let's say, I think, I think it's even worse. I, I think it's even worse, and and here's why. I think it's worse. One eleven. <laughs> no, no, not even that. I think it's worse for a couple of different reasons. I think it's worse because you have prime. Like, let me let me back up. Here. It's like, a prime there, show. Let's be honest. There's a lot of things that have gone wrong from an optics standpoint that I don't think a lot of people are paying enough attention to. So let let's start here. You fire your coach, but you have a group of commitments that stay committed throughout that whole process. And why do they stay committed? Because the athletic director promised them scholarships. They they promised that they would be honored. 
Coach Prime and staff takes over. These guys want to come in and meet the staff. They get zero return calls, and their scholarships are no longer honored. Not only does the AD not, not answer any of their calls, but neither does anybody on the staff. Then you have the AD saying, I don't know how we're going to pay Dion. I don't know how we're going to get the money, but I know we're going to get it. Then you have, you know, the Dion videos all the time. You have the tweets out. I ain't hard to find, but, you know, he, he's tweeting at certain podcasts about coming on, and then they're trying to get him on because he's not hard to find, but it turns out he's hard to find. He's real hard to find, I guess. And then you got, you know, your, you got your coach saying after the spring game, eight of my 11 starters aren't even here yet, so you know there's no true evaluation of talent going on. You have your your best two offensive players, maybe one of your best defensive players being one of those guys coming from Jackson State, and you're living off of their accolades at Jackson State, which is nothing like the Pac-12. Like, I will say this. At least, like, it was ridiculous around here for Scott Frost, 100%. But yeah, you it know was who pretty didn't ridiculous really, for a couple of years. And we all fed who, into it. But you know who didn't feed into it, at least on social media? Was Scott Frost himself? That's true, because I assume you'd have. You know what? I'm not even going to say anything. That's true. You yeah. didn't see Frost doing anything on social media, and a, a lot of people brought it up at the time. I didn't feel like it was a big deal at the time, but with the way things are and seeing how active Coach Rule is and his staff is now, I mean, you kind of see how important it is, especially with interactions with the recruits and such. Mm-hmm. One hundred percent. It, it's just, I mean, it, it really feels a lot, uh, kind of a similar situation. Like you said, I think it could be a worse situation than what Frost walked into, but it just feels like a very similar situation um, with with him coming in and the expectations being so high. I mean, I, I literally feel like if he doesn't win seven games this year, it'll, it's going to feel like a letdown. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, those – I don't even. There's no TCU I don't even like know, flip around like, with that team. I don't even know what the fan base sentiment is going to be because their fans are have been so inactive and in hibernation for so long. Yeah, it. Uh, that's that's part of the problem. Is is you, you almost just may get um, what indifference, very early yeah. from the fan base where it's just. They just act like it, nothing happened and the offseason didn't count, which we, as Nebraska fans know, the offseason is the only thing that matters anymore. Um, kind of speaking about that, Alante Brown, what's uh, I know you were an Alante guy. What's uh, what were your thoughts on him going to Michigan State? Honest, I, I was happy to see him land at another Power Five. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't love that it's home. Michigan State. Yeah, I don't love that it's Michigan State, but I will say this: like, I think there was definitely places better for him um, in terms of getting the opportunity to showcase his talent. Like, I think he would have been electric at a place like Liberty mm-hmm. or Coastal Carolina. Um, but staying in the Power Five um, and getting your opportunity to show your talent at that level, if if he's able to do anything close to what I expected him to do here in Nebraska, it'll be a success for him. Um, Michigan State likes to run the ball, and I've said this for the last two years. He's He's been our best run-blocking wide receiver. I think that's why Michigan State offered him, because 
he does have some electric abilities the with the ball. Yeah, but he does all the dirty work. Yep. Um, I, it just, I'm for just me, so sad that we couldn't find a place for him here. I really am. I am too. He was a guy I was really hoping was going to land somewhere on this roster in some form or fashion. Um, you know, it, it just doesn't seem like to me he transferred to a better situation considering the quarterback, Peyton Thorne, transferred to Auburn. Now the starting quarterback down there, I believe, are in at least competition. And then another starting wide receiver, Keon Coleman, transferred to Florida State. Like, I get now that there's a spot open, but your quarterback position is taking a big step backwards. I, and, and Maybe. We don't know that. That's true. I, I guess at I mean, this point. But you're right. Probably is. Probably is. We don't know for, for certain, but when you've got a, a Thorne who, you know, he's thrown quite a few college passes at this point. When, when you lose that, I don't know. I just feel like it's a big step back in an uncomfortable position with a coach who is – I don't know if Tucker's on the hot seat yet, but that seat's got to be getting pretty damn warm. Yeah, for sure. Um, So now, Drake, I, I don't know if you got a chance to see this, but it was on Mike Farrell's uh, sports blog or whatever the fuck it was. Uh, Jim in Minnesota posted something, and I read it this uh, this morning. And it said that it mentioned Matt Rule and it said this is a quotation from the article. Nebraska just hired Matt Rule, so they are okay for now. But Nebraska is where head coaches go to die. So don't be surprised if they're looking for a head coach soon. That's a quote from the article. So to me, Nebraska is a place where coaches go to die. It's just not a factual statement. Um, You know, as bad as Nebraska has been. The last off and on for eight years, they were still ranked 24th in the country in 2019 under frost, mind you. I think it was a preseason, but nonetheless. Um, and they were as high as seventh in the country under Mike Riley and fifth under Bo. I, I don't quite understand the sentiment of Nebraska is a place where coaches go for their careers to die. I feel like it was low and, and easy. It's, it's clickbait. Yeah, I, I'm trying to find the article. Uh, it, send it to me if you get a chance. I I will say this. Um, yeah, we were pretty good under Bo, but you could argue Bo's took Bo's career took a massive downturn post time here, right? Like, well, and that was that was going to be the thing I, I was going to bring up is if you look at where Bo went after her Youngstown State and then um, LSU, I believe, and then unemployed. DC. Yep, unemployed very quickly. Um, I, Bill granted, Callahan revitalized his career, but he's never going to be a head coach again. Correct. Um, well, so and here's another thing. Okay, so coaches' careers go to die here. So Callahan was over 500 as a head coach here. Pelini. Over 700 as a head coach. Barney Cotton wasn't a full-time head coach. Even Mike Riley was a 500. The only coach that was below 500 as a full-time head coach was Scott Frost. Technically, you could say Mickey Joseph. But Scott Frost was the only head coach that was below 500 as a coach at Nebraska. It, it, It doesn't seem like it's a place where your career goes to die. But it seems like it's a place where you're going to figure out really quickly if coaching college football is for you or not, especially being in a fishbowl. I, I, 
I, to an extent, agree with the sentiment of where your coach coaching career goes to die. Be, and may, maybe we should add a caveat to it being your head coaching career. Because Bill Callahan has never had a head coaching job since. Mike Riley's in an expansion semi-professional football league. Um, Scott Frost unemployed. Bo Pelini unemployed. Um, who am I missing here? Frank uh, Solich never. Frank Solich is the only one that I would argue had an opportunity to move up after his step back from from being relieved of duties. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, here's the here's the other thing about this article too. Yeah, we we have a ton of coaches post two thousand that that you can throw in here. But prior to that, you know, going back to the sixties, you really only have two coaches. You have Bob Devaney and Tom Osborne. Yes, I guess you could argue their coaching careers died, but it died on their own terms with retirement. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. It, it. Bo had chances to still take better jobs than Nebraska. I mean, there were rumors about the Ohio State job, which I don't know how truthful those were same thing with Miami job when those were having the possibility of being opened up a while back it it just seems like to me it can be a career job but it's hard to take a step up it's easy to take a step down yeah for sure but to Mike Farrell's point if Mike Farrell's who wrote it because I haven't seen it um it it wasn't it was someone else but it was on his uh Twitter thing that he shared. Yeah. Um, Nobody has ever gotten back to the level of Nebraska as a head coach after being relieved of their duties here. So Nebraska is kind of the death nail. If you don't make it here, you don't get another head coaching job. It seems like at this point. No, I I don't necessarily agree. It's also not true because so much got one. So did Mike Riley. I, I don't necessarily agree with the sentiment. I agree with the point that's being made. Um, I would also argue, again, Sol- Solich had the opportunity to probably get back to a Power 5 level. He just never chose to. Mm-hmm. Bo Pelini overstayed his welcome. We we can talk about the Bo Pelini thing at nauseum. I, I was never anti-Bo, but it was definitely time to move on. He took He took a job. Had a couple of successful years though, there though, and then just completely nosedived the program because I, actually I'm not even going to dive into why because that that'll take me down the path of his tenure at Nebraska. Um, but then he went to LSU as a defensive coordinator and was arguably the worst defensive coordinator in the country for that one year, and immediately relieved of duties, and now he's unemployed. Some of his unemployment right now is by choice. Um, he said on numerous podcasts, including his own, that he he wouldn't coach college football in the NIL era. He I, Now, does it stay that way forever? I don't know. He's obviously stayed around the game because he's been on the Ohio State and the Oklahoma sidelines during bowl games and playoff runs. Uh, I don't know, man. I just – I understand the point – that is being made and I, I can see the the linear conclusion 
but in sports and people, there is no true linear conclusion, right? Like certain things happen. It just happens that Nebraska had a string of bad luck of hiring the wrong guys at the wrong place and things didn't work out. Now, I, I firmly believe if Bo would have moved on on his own terms instead of waiting to get fired, he'd still be a head coach somewhere, but he didn't. And this goes back to my my argument that if if you hit your peak at X place, you need to get out before things get bad. Because once you hit your peak and you stay at your peak, unless your name's Mike Gundy, it doesn't really ever turn out for you in the end. Yeah, that's fair. I, and Bo did overstay his welcome. I think, I, I guess I, maybe I'm getting a little too into the weeds too, because I'm also thinking about on the, you know, administrative side too, where not only did you have bad coaching hires, but you had terrible administration to back oh, up those bad coaching it. hires as well. Yeah. So it, it amplified everything a little bit more. But um, And I think also too, like there's a legitimate argument to be made here that if we didn't do the Nebraska thing where we let a retiring person pick their predecessor and actually went out and looked and hired the right person, we don't end up in this sinkhole that we've been in for the last 20 plus years. That's that's pretty fair because I know there were some big names, uh, Mac Brown, Mac Brown being one of them. And uh, I'm not even talking about North just, Carolina. I'm not even talking about just coaches. I'm talking about ads, um, you know, board of regents type deals, like administration and coaching. Like, if you go through the process and do the process the way that it's supposed to be done, we're we're probably not sitting here today. That's fair. Okay. So I let's mean, move. you and I are probably still sitting here, but we're not sitting here having this same discussion. Uh, oh, no, we're definitely still sitting here. It's just, yeah, we're having a different conversation at this point. So Malachi Coleman, uh, am I crazy for thinking that he's going to be one of the top three receivers this year? Yes. Okay. Uh, only reason I wonder about that is because I'm not super blown away by the receiver room. Um, as far as what they're going to have out there, Washington to me um, is your number. Uh, sorry, Kemp's your one. But after that, I don't think anybody's really set in stone. I could see him sneaking in and, and, and garnering a lot of. I, I could see him getting a lot of play time, especially as the year goes on. I'm starting to really turn my my thinking on him a little bit more, just with uh, what seems like how advanced he is right now. Okay, let me let me back up and get some clarif- clarification on the on the question. Yeah. When you say top 3 are you talking targets and receptions and yards, like actual production um from anybody who catches passes, or are you talking specifically wide receivers, or are you talking specifically just, wide receivers? I think are you he's talking gonna just be, snaps. I think he's going to be up there in snaps and I think he's going to put up some decent production. I'm not expecting a ton out of that receiver room this year though. Okay. You can sell me that he might end up being um, like the second, like having the second most big plays. Like Mm -hmm. I I legitimately think he has that talent. That's your deep bet right there. I don't know though. And this is just like my opinion on freshman wide receivers as a whole with what we want to try and do offensively. I don't know if he's ready to step in and be a leader in terms of snap count because I don't know if he's ready to be a run block first guy with how much we want to run the ball 
is he ready to do that? Not like physically he's ready, but from a technique standpoint, from a mindset standpoint, is he there? I don't know. And that's, that's why I say no. Now there is a world out there where, you know, he's, you know, fifth on the team in catches, but third in yards and touchdowns. Like there, there is that possibility. I do. And, and I could be totally wrong on on where he is in the run blocking setup. Like he can be an elite run blocker already, and I just don't know. And then he walks in, and he's wide receiver two or three off the bat. But I think I think Fleeks is going to be up there. Um, I think Marcus Washington is is going to be up there just because of his experience. He's going to kind of lead that receiver room from from a leadership standpoint. And mind you, I, I really hope I'm wrong with that. I would love for Malachi to completely just redshirt the year or get his four games in and get a little experience and leave it at that. But if he's ready to go, he's ready to go. Um, I well, I, I I'm hope just not right. really blown away with with what's going on in the receiver room. Um, I like some of the pieces, but a lot of those pieces I like are also very very young. Outside of yeah. you know um, Kemp and Garcia Castaneda, we haven't heard a ton of, but. Were you going to hear a ton about him coming back anyway? He's kind of still working himself into shape, you hope, or you're wondering about. Kind of tough yeah, to tell. Yeah, but I point. mean, think about this: you, you, these guys have been very high on Xavier Betts since coming back. Um, I would love to see his his story uh, as kind of a rebound story from where he was yeah. at off but the I, team to doing yeah. something. And same with RZ, Isaiah Garcia Castaneda. But I hope you're right about Malachi, not from maybe not from the same standpoint that you're thinking about it. I hope that he comes in and is ready to go because that'd be a great success story for recruiting. Um, I hope it's more of a, he put himself there than the rest of the, the room. Was it wasn't yeah, there? If he can, if he can work his way up there and he's physically able to go and knows what he needs to do, I would love for him to be that number three guy because he worked his ass off and got there. Not because they're like, mm-hmm. well, we don't have shit else to put out there. So we, we got to give this true freshman a chance. I, I think he has the ability to, I I'm just, I'm still really high on like, like you said, like now, now I can't think of his name. Our slot guy. Why can't I think of his name? Billy Kemp. Oh yeah. Kemp. No, Billy Kemp. I, I'm super high on Billy Kemp. Love Kemp. Super high. I'm super high on Garcia Castaneda because of what he did in his one game where he was actually featured, whether it was by accident or not. Um, I'm super high on Xavier Betts. I always have been, and the staff seems to be. I think Marcus Washington is is your anchor. And I think Josh Fleeks has a lot of ability too. Um, I don't – He can, can I spin this back to you? Is it possible that we're not blown away or hearing anything about the wide receiver room because it it might be the most solid room on offense? Huh. I, I mean, I guess I didn't think of it that way. Um, it, it, it's a it's a you have the most power five production there for sure. Yeah, I would say between there and your in your uh, running back room. As far as what you've got returning production wise, yeah. Um I, I would say as far as there gosh, you just didn't see enough last year to really get a, a gauge on that room on what you've got returning to feel comfortable at this point, I feel like. I don't want to deflect right. But... I just but I think so much so much of the talent in that room 
is technically not returning. Yeah, I mean... So, I mean, you are basing it off of previous stops. Like, Billy Kemp was at Virginia. Fleeks was at Baylor. Isaiah Garcia-Castaneda was here for for one minute. Washington and Um, Texas. Yeah, Xavier Betts. We've seen flashes of him his previous year here at Nebraska. Um, I just... I... And I don't know that this is the case, but I would argue that they're not talking that room up as much because that room is probably the most ready to go. Like you have a lot of questions about Jeff Sims at quarterback. You have questions about how that running back room is going to change with the change in style. And offensive line is obviously the biggest question mark. And then you have virtually no returning production from the tight end spot. So those are the biggest question marks. So they're going to be the ones talked about the most. That's fair. That's yeah. my that's my positive spin, at least. I mean, you could take it the other direction where it's a complete shit show and there's nothing worth talking about. I, I think there's a lot of potential opportunity in that room, and I don't think Rule is going to be afraid to play some young guys. And I think that's why you've seen some of the transfers out in certain positions because I, f- I feel like you may see a little bit more of the young guys than we're expecting to at certain spots. Maybe the receiver spot being one. Um you don't want to see it on the on the defensive line, but the uh, with with wind transferring out, you have to wonder if the uh, Jason Masichek or I can't even say his name from uh, North Dakota, if he's pushing for time as a, as a true freshman on the line. So just kind of interesting, but you almost got to wonder if they're gonna if they're gonna want to go almost go baptism by fire with some of these guys that are mentally and physically able, ready to go. Yeah, and the other thing I would keep in mind too is everything we've heard is there's going to be significantly less three and four wide receiver sets. Mm-hmm. Going to be a lot more two tight end sets. So, I mean, you've got the two tight might... ends to do it too. So why not utilize them? Right, absolutely. Potentially. So potentially, um, I don't, I don't necessarily expect a ton of wide receiver production, but I expect the bulk of that production to come from two to three guys because there's just going to be less reps for them. Oh, yeah, I, I guess I didn't think of it that way. I'm still thinking of it from that, you know, the four and five wide spread that they were, you know, running under frost and, you know, going to the RPO system. Yeah, you, you're going to be in that, you know, you'll have your slot, you'll have your, your wide guys. But if you can get back to that power football, I feel like that's when you, you'll see some good things. And, and it makes it a lot harder to shoot yourself in the foot, which we've seen with, you know, your Wisconsin's, your Iowa's, your teams like that that it's 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 hard to lose games when you don't constantly shoot yourself in the foot so mm-hmm. i guess it would be nice to see that as, as a nebraska fan but um drake do you, do you have anything else my friend no i am good buddy well i'm gonna let you enjoy your memorial day weekend we'll let everyone else go but um well you know we'll do a little bit of an announcement i won't say the exact date because i don't know it yet but I guess we should let everyone know that we're going to do a live podcast here soon. So we'll, we'll be, we'll be advertising for that, but just so everyone knows we'll be doing a live show and hopefully we'll get to start broadcasting that this week or advertising that this week. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and don't forget to go hit up our, our store on her media. Our store went live. We got to tweet out those links. That's true. I actually ordered one of the uh, cups, uh, one of the traveler mugs. So I'm waiting to get that right now. So I think I should be nice. getting that. Within the next couple of days here, I just wanted to have it before we go uh, on live so I could drink that on stage and look all fancy and whatnot. But <laughs> um, 
I, I got nothing else. So, Dre, thanks for joining us tonight, my man. Thanks for everyone else for uh, checking us out. Have a great Memorial Day weekend. Uh, and, yeah, thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you later. Members of the congregation, let's raise our Kool-Aid filled glasses and drink to all the things that were, are, and forever will be Nebraska Cornhuskers. Go Big Red. A Heard at Sports Network production. <laughs>